Well, we are in uh, the midst of a series that we're calling Behold, and this is week number three in our series on Behold. And so what I want to do is just maybe start by getting everybody up to speed uh, as to what we're talking about and what we've been looking at. Um, here's, here's the big idea, that as we behold the Lord, we are being changed. And the more we behold the Lord, the more we come before Him and we, we, we get our eyes on Him, the, the more we are being changed. And, and this principle comes uh, for us out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. You don't have to flip there. We'll get it up on the screen for you. And uh, we'll flip somewhere else in just a little while. But let me just, let me read this again just to make sure everybody's up to speed. Here's where this principle comes from. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so as we behold the Lord, as we come before Him, as we get our eyes on Him, we are being transformed from one degree of glory uh, to the next. And so as you make that regular practice of yours, that I want to I come before Him, I want to see Him, I want to know Him, that, that you're going to be changed. Because as you see Him, He, he changes you. And this is a, this is a huge uh, piece of, of our faith. This is one of the primary thrusts of our faith faith that I think really sets it apart from all other faith system out there, and that is that, that we can't just muster up enough morality to, to earn God's favor, right? We can't, we can't do that, and, and when we're doing that, what we're really doing is just we're covering up corruption, right? When we just try to muster it up, we're just really covering up uh, corruption. Our, our, our hearts are, are, are sinful at, at the core, and Instead, what we need to do is we need to look to Jesus, and as we look upon Him, He does His changing work in, in our hearts and in our lives. We, we see in um, Ezekiel chapter 36, the, the scriptures say that, that God takes our heart of stone, and He gives us a heart of, of flesh. And so it's, it's a work that He does, not a work that we try to muster up and do. And that's why this, this, this verse here, 2 Corinthians 3.18, closes with, This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the work of the Lord, uh, not our work. And so we behold Him. We don't try to change our behavior. And see, I think this is so many of us throughout the course of our week. We come to church, we bring our Bible, we get home, we set our Bible down, we go about our week, we come to church, we, we get our Bible, we, we open it, we sit it down, we go about our week, and throughout the course of our week, maybe things of the Lord are on your mind, and you're thinking, I want to do this, I want to do this, and we try to be moral, but we do so apart from the scriptures, apart from beholding him, and that's just morality, and that's not what we're, we're talking about here. We're talking about coming before him and letting him change you. We behold the, the glory of the Lord. You know, kind of, kind of much like I don't have to try to please my wife, you know? It's not like something I have to, to, to try to do. Instead, what I do is I grow closer to my wife. I date her, increasingly date her, and try to get to know her more and more and more, and it just, it becomes natural. I, I, I don't do the things that I know would hurt her, and I do the things that I, I know would please her. And so that's kind of how it is with the Lord. We draw near to Him, and He changes our hearts as we behold Him. And so week one, we, we kind of got the principle here, behold the Lord. Last week, we saw that we behold the Lord in His Word, and then this week, here's what we're going to get that we behold the, the Lord by beholding His His works. We behold His works. So last week, behold His word. This week, behold His works. Why don't you turn with me to 
Psalm 126. Psalm 126. This is our primary text uh, for tonight. And so if you're a note taker, um, I just want to let you know you can use the back of the river guides. There's some lines there on the back if you want to take some notes. I'd love to encourage you guys to do that because this is some stuff that I think you will find pertinent to life. You will, you will need this throughout the course of your life. Psalm 126. Um, what we're going to see here at the very beginning of the psalm is that it, it tells us that it is what is known as a song of of ascent. And there are 15 songs of ascent within the, the, the book of Psalms. There are, starts in Psalm 120, goes all the way through Psalm 134. And these songs were written for, for, for Israel to say together. And you'll notice that as you, you flip through the songs, suddenly they're brief. So they're made for the people to be able to sing. And they're made for um, the people to be able to sing with a lot of repetition so that they can can really get it. And that's how we like our music, right? We like, we like them brief. Some of you grew up in the church that sang, you know, seven choruses or seven verses, nice and brief. That's how they liked them, and they were very, um, very pertinent. These songs were, were sung by Israel as they were, um, they were ascending to the top of, of Mount Zion, right? These songs were sung as they were, were going up to Jerusalem. And they would do this three times a year, and when they would ascend, they would also have three feasts as commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, verse 16. And so these, these psalms were these psalms of ascent that they would sing as they ascend to Mount Zion or, or Jerusalem. And so uh, for us, I think one, Psalm 126 is one of those that is for them, they sing it at least three times a year. For us, it's one that, that I think we too should draw near to and really keep close to our hearts. And so I want to read it. And um, I want you to see that this is a song that you need to have close and you're going to turn to often throughout the course of your life. And so here it is. Psalm 126 says this. A song of ascent. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Beautiful psalm. Now here's where we're at, at the beginning of this psalm, Israel is, um, they're, they're, they're at uh, just a time of, of difficulty uh, for the people. And what we're going to see here as we look at this psalm is that it's divided into two halves, two sections. Stanza number one, verses one, two, and three. Stanza number two, verses four, five, and six. And in stanza one there, they're remembering a time when God showed up in a, in a huge, huge way for them. And, and so check out that, that first word of the psalm. That first word of the psalm is when. It's when. Red Sox Nation, you guys with me? You here right now? You know what we're talking about right now? You remember when? This has been a rough week for us Bostonians, right? We just blew a, a nine-game league in the American League uh, race for the wild car. And our manager was axed. I don't care what they say. He didn't resign. He was axed, right? And so we find ourselves once again saying, you remember when? You remember when, 2004, 
2007, we, we find ourselves saying, remember, remember the days of old? You remember the, the ragtag group of guys with the beards and the tar on their helmets who rallied together and reversed the, the curse? And God restored our fortunes, right? Remember that? We say, remember the days. And, and that's, you know, for us, that's kind of where we're at right now. And maybe, maybe for you, this is where you're at with your, your health or your athletic capability. You're, you're often at, remember when? You remember the glory days when you were a you were an athlete. You remember the glory days when, when you were in, in shape and you're vowing to return once again to where you once were, but you know you're never going to get rid of that gut. will never happen, but you're vowing, I'm going to return once again. Maybe this is you in a relationship. Maybe things are a little bit different than they, they once were. You know, he once was so charming and he romanced you and it was incredible. And you just remember how he just swept you off of your your feet and so now you're just you're with them and you're hoping for Prince Charming's return and, and you're just waiting and here's the problem there's something innately wrong with with clinging to these hopes and the problem is change the problem is is change the, the franchise will change right new players new management uh, new obstacles right our our metabolism it changes right our hearts slow down. We can't, you know, we can't just eat what we used to eat. Our joints weaken. Our body ages. Um, our, our schedules don't allow us to spend two hours every day at the gym like you, you once did. Maybe you need to understand that your relationship changes a little bit because people change. And so it takes, takes a, a lot of work. But know this, that for the people of Israel, they can hope in the Lord. They can say, when? Remember when? Because God tells us of himself in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change. And so you can say when. Maybe, maybe you've had that season of life. Maybe you're in that season of life even as we speak tonight when, when it is undeniable. God is at work. It is clear. I cannot de- deny that. And, and this is where the people of Israel are at. Verse 1 um, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, they're reflecting back and saying, it was undeniable. The Lord did this. The Lord restored our fortunes. Most scholars would say that, that this is uh, particularly referring to the return of the, the exile in, in, in Babylon. The exile was, for the people of Israel, a really difficult period in their history. Their king was taken captive. They gouged out his eyes. They, they uh, chained him and brought him back in shackles to the land. And so their symbol of authority for their, their nation was, was gone and lost. Their temple was ransacked. It was the place where the, where the glory of God dwelt. It was the place that they worshipped. And it was, it was absolutely destroyed. You can imagine the pain for them. The, the artifacts that were used for worship were, were taken. And so you can imagine how difficult it was. Their city was, was taken from them. And all the people of the city were either enslaved or, or killed. And so you can imagine, this is a dark, dark period in, in their history. Many of the people, when they were over in Babylon, they, they thought, I'm never going to even return. I'm never going to see Jerusalem again. God has judged us. God has turned His face from us. And they said, there's no, there's no hope. Many of the people felt that way. But this psalmist... He did not feel that way. Let me give you a little glimpse of, of how they felt. If you want to flip to the right, flip over to 
to Psalm 137. Let's get a glimpse of how many of them felt. This is about as depressing as a country song here, so let's read it. Psalm 137, sorry, you guys who love it. All right, here's what it says. Psalm 137, here's a glimpse into their reality. It says, by the waters of Babylon, so they're in Babylon. There we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Pretty depressing, huh? There's a lot of tears here. There's a a lot of pain here. They're thinking back to Zion. They're thinking back to Jerusalem before they were taken uh, into exile. It says their, their harps were hung up on the willow trees. They're not playing music right now. They're not singing. But then it says that, that their captors, the Babylonians, come along and start mocking them and say, hey, why don't you sing us one of those cute Zion songs, right? Pick up your guitar and sing us one of those, one of those chart-topping songs of, of Zion. Go ahead, do it, right? Let's worship your God now. And, and then they say, how can we sing? How can we sing in this, this foreign land? You just get this sense. This is awful. They're captive. The promised land, they, they feel it's gone forever. And they, they live out 70 years of this. And so here in, in, in Psalm 126, they're saying, when, 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 when God restored our fortunes, when God brought us from exile and brought us all the way back to Zion, can you, can you imagine the experience after 70 years in captivities and, and captivity and they come back and, and verse 1 says that their fortunes have been Restored. They say, pinch me, I'm dreaming, right? It says, we were like those who dreamed. This is home. They're just breathing it in. They missed it. They've been longing for this. Maybe even the, the younger ones who were, who were born into exile, they're seeing grandma and grandpa and, and mom and dad maybe, maybe rejoice uh, over returning to the land that these kids had, had never seen. I remember as a child, I remember seeing my, my parents in, in a particular season where it was just dark for them. My sister was in this awful, awful accident, near death. I mean, it was just really a rough situation. I remember seeing my parents while my sister was in the hospital for a few weeks. Just, it was, it was really ugly. I remember as a child being deeply affected by that. But I also remember seasons when my parents were joyful and things were, were, were alive and they were, they were um, man, they were excited. I just remember that also translated over to me as a child and 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 here we have uh, these people in the beginning of psalm 126 that they're they're excited the taunting and the humiliation of psalm 137 was was gone the the tears were gone the harps weren't hanging on the trees anymore the harps are in their hands now and they're they're playing they're holding them they're they're celebrating verse two look at verse two it says our mouths were full of laughter our tongues uh, were, were singing again. They were laughing. They were, they were full of joy. The worship leader didn't have to say, stand and sing with us. They just jumped up and they were, they were worshiping the Lord. It says we were, they were full and they were just overflowing. It says our mouth, our tongue, but not just ours. It also says theirs. Verse, look at verse 2. It says, they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So others saw them. Others, others said their God has done something 
great. Man, I just pray that that would be true for us, that, that people would look at us and say, man, their, their God has done something great. His favor, His blessing is, is upon Him. The Lord has done great things for them. And now we get to verse 3, and they say, it's true. They say, it's true. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We are, we are joyful. And so in light of the context, in light of everything that we understand uh, from Psalm 126, we, we start to get really a true picture of joy. We start to see what joy really is. The Lord has done great things for us. That, that joy is a deep-rooted contentment in the Lord because of what He has done, because of who He is. It's, it's this deep-rooted contentment in Him. Joy is not something that we just kind of conjure up. Joy is not something that I can stand up here and say, go be joyful, right? Joy is not something that you can purchase, though many will try. Joy is not something that a substance can intoxicate you into. Joy is not something that a psychologist can medicate you into. Joy is not something that you can distract yourself into, though many will try. Joy comes from the Lord. It says, the Lord has done great things and we are glad. Joy comes from understanding and seeing, beholding and resting in the Lord, knowing that there's a real God who who, who really loves us, who really wants to restore us, really wants to save his people. And joy comes when you say, I, I, I know he's there, and I, I, I trust that he is real, alive, well, and working in the world, that he has rescued us from captivity. And it's so cool how God has moved throughout the course of history, and through this historical moment, he, he really kind of speaks a picture for us. See, uh, through this historical moment, the people were uh, once enslaved in Egypt and, and were freed. Now they were enslaved and captive uh, to Babylon, and, and, and now they're free. And much like Israel, who dishonored God and, and, and was then held captive to Egypt and Babylon, so we too have, have sinned and we have dishonored God. We have turned from Him, and we have been held captive to Satan and to sin and to death. But God rescues us, right? He sends His Son into the earth uh, on a rescue mission to restore his children, to redeem him, to, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve as our substitution in our place and resurrect back to life so that we too can say no matter where we're at in life, the Lord has done great things for us. He's done great things for us. Do you believe that? Are you saying that? Are you, are you even in your own life, are you meditating on that? Now, I want to remember that this, this stanza starts with this word, when. When. This is important. I remember when. In other words, this psalm was written after, after all the glory of verses 1, 2, and 3. And now he's, he's looking back on, on what God did, on when God did this. He's beholding the past works of the Lord because that was a thing of the, the past. And now, in this moment, look at verse 4. In this moment, he says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the, the Negev. So this is the second time we hear that word restore. First in verse 1, and now uh, 
here in verse 4, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. And the, the psalmist is thinking back to when. He's, he's thinking back to when God did all of these things. And he's, he's asking, God, do it again. I'm looking back to that. I'm saying, God, would you do it again? I know you can do it again. We don't know what the struggle is in um, the second stanza. But we know that it's a struggle. And I don't know what your struggle is, but I, I trust that it's a struggle. I don't want to compare it to mine. I don't want to compare it to other people's because when life is tough, life is it's, it's tough. And he's looking back and beholding the past works of the Lord. Let me show you another example of, of when this is done. This is, uh, this is David. Uh, if you want to flip over to the right to Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6. Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6. Um, listen to what David says. He says, He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. It's the same story, right? He's thirsty, he's feeling dry, and he's meditating on all that God has done. He's beholding the work of the Lord. And and can I just say that we've got to do this? As, as, as people who want to follow the Lord and want to survive, we have to follow um, this example. We have to get our eyes onto the work of the Lord. David says, I meditate on all you've done. I ponder the, the work of your hands. And we've got to get our eyes on, on these things. And we've got to get our eyes on these things often, often, often. God has done great things. He's done it before. And if he's done it before, he can do it again because he never, he never changes. In, in fact, uh, this is the promise of Psalm 126, verses uh, 5 and 6. Let's, let's read those. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Again, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out with weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And so, notice at the, at the end of 5 and, and at the end of 6, we have this emphatic promise. There shall be joy. There shall be joy joy. And, and, and some of you right now, you are in the midst of verses 1, 2, and, and, and 3, and, and, and the, the fortunes of the Lord are being poured out on you. You just know it. You are, you are laughing. That's great. You are singing. That's great. You're shouting. That's great. You're, you're declaring to others, man, God is he's rocking right now. He's doing incredible things in my life, in my, in my heart. And, and, and praise God for those moments. Praise God for those moments. Enjoy those moments. Don't don't live in the gloom of, oh, it's going to get hard. But you praise God in the midst of, of those moments. But know this, that, that throughout the course of the history of Israel, what did they do in those moments? When they had those incredible moments where it was undeniable, God is up to something. He is doing incredible things. We are praising Him. We are shouting. You know what they did in those moments throughout the course of, of Israel's history? They got a bunch of rocks and they made a pile, didn't they? We I mean, think back story after story. They got a bunch of rocks, and they made a little monument in the midst of wherever it was that God was blowing their, their minds. Those monuments were called matzavats. They were places that they would go. They would revisit these places, and they would remember all that God has done. And, and it's important. They would go and be assured, the Lord has done great things for us. You remember the day those rocks were piled up there? I, my, my grandfather put those rocks there. My, my great-grandfather built that monument. The Lord has done great things for us. What do those monuments look like in your own life? 
Do you have matzavats in your own life? Monuments where, where when God does something incredible, you say, I, I don't want to forget this. I, I did not want to forget this. Maybe for you it's just a journal entry that you go back to often. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, for a friend of mine, it, it's, a, it's a picture that he has framed of when he was baptized. He remembers that, when God really got a hold of his heart and his life. Maybe for you it's a note in your Bible. Maybe it's a life that, that God used you to touch, and that was just an incredible um, thing that happened. And whenever you see that life, whenever you think on that life, it's a monument to what God has done. And when you're dry and you feel like you're not being used of the Lord, and you see that life, and you say, man, he did use me. He, he did use me. He has done great things. And, and for every Christian, it, it is to be this. This was recorded so that we can read and say, the Lord has done great things. He has done great things. For me, in this, this journey of starting a church in uh, the most unreached region of our country, right? We are, um, there's actually more evangelical, Bible-believing Christians in India than there are in the city of Boston per capita. It's just mind-blowing, right? And so we are in an unreached people group. And so uh, for me, this, this has been a tough season. We're celebrating one year and God has done great things, but it's also been a, a very difficult season. And some, some wise men who have gone before me and have been a part of this journey said, Josh, you're going to you're gonna have to write down every time you see God move because you are going to be visiting those often. Because I'm telling you, it's going to get hard. And can I just say that this journey for me has been just an emotional roller coaster. And I don't count myself an emotional guy, but just been high and low and high and low. God, where are you? Where are you? To, we just saw this person give their life to Christ and they are being changed. It's incredible. And so, man, I, I want to go and revisit those things and cling often to the work of the Lord and cling to the promise that He has done great things. He wants to restore the fortune. He wants to do it again. And, and, and I preach this to you guys all the time. You know I have. I preach it to you all the time. That life is hard. But when you become a Christian, life is hard, right? It all, it's always going to be hard, right? Uh, those kooks out there who say that when you come to Jesus and everything is beautiful and you have all the health you need and you, you're going to have all the wealth, it's going to be... No, it's... It's not in the Bible. Jesus says of himself, he says, the son of man didn't even have a place to lay his head. Who are we to think that, that, that life is going to be easy? Don't be surprised by, by suffering. Don't be surprised by pain and death and illness and, and conflict and, and difficulty. I think half of the battle is just simply knowing that it's coming so that we can remove that surprise element and say it's going to be hard. But know this. God is there. God has done great things and God will do great things. We live in a world that is 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 broken from from sin. Sin has really hurt our, our world and distorted from the way God created it to be. And so everyone suffers. Everyone suffers. And and I want you to notice in this particular psalm, in Psalm one twenty six, there's there's no indication that wrong has been done in the second half. We know the story of the first half and why they were in exile. But in the second half, there's no, there's no indication of, of any particular wrong that has been done that caused them to plea out to the, cry out to the Lord, God, please restore our, our, our fortunes. It's just the reality of life in a, 
in a broken and, and, and fallen world. But here's what we get. In the promise of verses 5 and 6, what we get is we get the end of the story in the middle of the story, which is so cool. We get the end of the story while we're smack in the, in the middle of the story. And so in the midst of your pain, you should, you should cling to the fact that we know the end of the story. Uh, let, me, let me read to you uh, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. I, I want to read to you verses 1 through 5. And, uh, this, is, this is important. This is the end of the story for us. We get to, we, we get to see the end and know that it's coming. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. No more tears. No more pain. No more crying. No more death. Now look at verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, to John, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He's saying it to John so that John can record scripture so that we could have it. But I think those words are pretty powerful and pretty meaningful. Write this down. Make sure you get this. Make sure you know the end of the story while you're in the middle of the story. When you're in those moments where where your, your mouth is full of laughter and, and singing and shouts of praise. The Lord has done great things for us. Write it down, right? Create the monument, the matzavat, so that you can cling to that. and say, the Lord has done great things for us. And He will wipe away every tear, either on this side of eternity or on the next. It's not for me to know, but I know it's coming, and I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. I'm, I'm keeping on because He can do it again. Notice in, in, in the second half of, of the Psalm 126, there's no promise of, of, of when. There's no timeline there. It's just a promise of you will reap in joy. And I think of, I think of the Apostle Paul beaten time after time after time. He was left for dead. At one point, he even says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, he goes so far as to say, we were so utterly burdened uh, beyond our own strength, that we despaired of life itself. And this is one of the most incredible men of God. He says, I despaired of life itself. I mean, it's raw and it's honest. But it was a man of God who loved the Lord, who lived for the Lord, and was confident the Lord has done great things and he will do great things. And I'm either on this side of eternity or on the next. We know that Paul goes on and, and dies for his faith, but he's... He's with the Lord and his, his tears are, are no more. And he is no longer burdened um, to the point where he despaired life it, itself. And so it's raw, but he shared it. And, and, and some of you, you need to share your burden with other people and you're just not. You're not that type of person maybe that's just uncomfortable for you. You need to open up and you need to, you need to share your burden. When your eyes are, 
are cloudy with tears and you can't see clearly, you need to share with somebody else so that they can point to you to the Lord so that you can behold the Lord. I think of um, a guy that we know, um, we call him Jonah. And uh, Jonah of Pakistan. Um, and uh, we don't call him by his real name uh, because Jonah is, is a guy who has um, been hunted down for quite a while um, for his faith. He's led so many people to Jesus in Pakistan that I could only dream of that. And he, he's, he's told us stories of just unreal things that, that have happened to him. Like numerous times he's stripped naked and just beaten because he's proclaiming Jesus. Right? You can imagine the tears and the pain and the heartache. His, his wife constantly burdened for the, for the prospect that her, her husband, their children could be killed at any moment because they're often hunted down. He told us of a time that he was stripped naked and, and tied up, and they pull out a drill, and they said, how many people have you baptized in this past year? For every person that you baptize, we're going to drill a hole in your arm. And praise God, they didn't drill holes in his arm for every person he baptized, but they di- did drill holes in, in his arm. Yet somehow, in the midst of the pain, he hopes in the Lord, and I, I can't even can't even fathom, right? Hope in the Lord. Behold what he has done and what he is going to do. Get your eyes on the works of the Lord. We have the past works of the Lord and we read in Revelation the, the future work of the Lord. Now look at, look at verse 4. You see a, a couple ways that God may choose to wipe away the tears. We might see a couple of ways that God would fulfill the, the promise that there is hope in him and that he will restore uh, fortune. Uh, in verse 4 we see uh, particularly it talks about the Negeb. The, the Negeb is this, this, this dry, dry, arid land. And when the rain comes it floods fast. Fast. And some of you, maybe that's your story, you've been there, maybe it's going to happen that in the midst of your pain God just floods you fast and just here it comes here it comes and, and your fortune have, has been restored and, and he's, he's wiping away tears and that's some of your story but here's for many of us here's, here's, here's our story verse 5 we sow in tears right? we, we, we sow in tears and, and so as we shed tears he compares them to, to seeds love that in other words in, in God's economy no tear is wasted right every tear that is, is shed, he, he redeems them. That, he, that he's going to use those, those tears for, for, for your good and for, for his glory, his, his purposes. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you know it, it tells us that God works together um, all things for good for, for those who love him and who are called uh, according to his purpose. And so he has a purpose for every tear um, that is, is shed. And, and he says, you're going you're gonna to be able to harvest those tears, as you plant those seeds, you harvest those, those tears. For us today, seeds are just so easy. You just go to Home Depot and get a whole bag of seed, you know, you can just bags and bags of seed for, for our lawn, and, and, and understand that for the people of Israel, seed, seed was valuable, right? And, and, and when they buried seed into the ground, it was like, all right, it's gone for now, and, and you just kind of wait. 
And maybe that's how some of you even feel in this moment is you're, you're shedding tears and it's like you're, they're spilling to the ground and I don't, I don't see any purpose of this. This makes no sense whatsoever. But can you, can you look to the Lord and behold His works and say, He's going to use them. The promise is here that those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He goes on, verse 6, He who goes out weeping bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves, his sheaves with him. What are sheaves? You know what sheaves are? The harvest comes up, and they, they go and they take the sickle and, and they bundle up the, the harvest. And so you just get this beautiful picture of I'm wrapping my arms around my harvest. It's just a, a very tangible picture that my arms are, are wrapped around this, that my, my, my tears, my pain, my heartache was, was not, it was not wasted. And, and I pray that, that tonight you guys would leave knowing that it, it will be hard. And some of you can say it is hard. But the promise is here that behold the Lord, behold what He's done, look upon His works and know that He has done great things and He will do great things, that your tears will not be wasted, that He will restore the fortunes, that you can have joy in the midst of all of your pain. And I want to close with a, a benediction. Um, let me read to you. You don't have to flip there. Just, just hear this benediction. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13. Here's what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And I just pray that tonight, God has used Psalm 126 to, to give you joy, to give you hope that is found in the Lord. The Lord has done great things. The Lord is the source of my joy. The Lord is my, my hope. And I want to behold what He has done and what He promises to do and what we read that He has done as, as John got a glimpse of the future in Revelation chapter 21. I pray that you would you would look to that and you would behold his work and you would be encouraged. Let me pray. God, we love you. God, we thank you that we can read your scriptures and we can, we can see that, that you have done great things, done great things for us, for your people. God, I pray for those in this room, even tonight, who are burdened. They're at point of despair. They are hurting. They are confused. Tears are, are in their eyes often. I pray that they would, they would see you and your work and they would have faith, that you would implant that seed of faith in their heart to know, I can hope in the Lord. I can hope in the Lord. For those who are in, in, in the moments of, of verses 1 and 2 and 3, that things are great and they're full of joy, Lord, may they May they just experience it to the fullest. May they, they create those monuments. May they, they know, may their faith be strengthened in those times that God is real, God is alive, God is well, He is working in this world. So I commit them to you, Lord. May we never look at the other side and say, they have no idea. May we be the church. May we be in it together. Support each other. And learn from wherever you have us not wanting somebody else's story, wanting the story that you've given us and living life the way you've called us to. 
and that is beholding you often so that we can make it, so that we can survive. Give us joy. May we be a people of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.